0: You ready to study the Bible? Come on, get your Bible out and get something to write with, get a, your journal. As you know, we're in the series called Fight to the Finish, Fight to the Finish, and it's a series on the letter of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to his young son in the faith. He was writing from jail, from prison. And it's a personal letter. It's unlike some of the other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote that were to be distributed. This was a personal letter that he's writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And really, as a father, he was challenging him and encouraging him. He was encouraging him not to give up, uh, not to hold back, not to be apprehensive. We know from 1 Timothy that Timothy was younger, and so he was really struggling And the Apostle Paul was challenging not to be embarrassed because he was young, but to be the man that God had called him to be, to teach and to train and to encourage. And so what we see here in 2 Timothy, the overarching theme is to convince Timothy not to give up, but to fight to the end. And really, the Apostle Paul was coming to the end of his journey. He was coming to the end of his life. And uh, so he's, he's trying to pass on this Truth, the, the, the most important truth that he can think of as a dad. Think of it. Most important truth and ideas that he can think of to keep Timothy moving and going and, and doing what God called him to do. That's what he's writing in 2 Timothy. And so as we look there, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's where we're picking up in the series. I heard that last week Pastor Marty Irwin did a fantastic job bringing the word. And so it was re- really, good uh, to go through first uh, the first chapter, second chapter, third chapter. Now we're at chapter four, and uh, we're going to read through some material here. But I want to tell you, I want to frame it for you. I want to, I want to shape the context for you. Um, this last week, I, as you know, I was gone. I was, I was at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and I was speaking there. It's our sending church, the church that sent. A bunch of us with money and people, about 50 or 60 people came down here in the summer of 2010 and started one chapel, planted one chapel here in the soil of Austin. And New Life Church is the church that sent us. And so I was back there kind of talking to all your extended family members and uh, they're praying for you and they send their greeting and they're so happy that you're doing well. And uh, so, so I was speaking there and I was, uh, I rented this, um, this little car right, from the airport. I had to drive from Denver to Colorado Springs. And, uh, and I ended up renting a Ford Focus. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a glorified go-kart. <laughs> it was like, and I was driving from all the way from Denver down I-35 down to the Colorado Springs. And it was like, eee. I mean, I was you know, it's like you, like you look too big in it, you know, and I'm not very big, but I'm in it and I'm like sitting up and my head's, it's, it was the strangest thing. It has an actual bell that comes on that dings, a notification that when you're speeding and you're getting to the maximum speed, it dings and says that on, this, on the dashboard. So I'm like 75 and it ding, ding, you're reaching your maximum speed. What is this? Is there a lawnmower under the hood? I mean, I thought maybe it was like a sewing machine because it's just so small. And anyway, so I'm I'm meeting people, and I was I was doing back to back to back appointments, and I'm getting ready to come back here on Monday, and so I'm having coffee with Pastor Brady, and uh, and and so I'm I'm pulling out of the parking lot. I've got to go to my next appointment. I'm in a real hurry, and I'm about to make a left turn, and so I you know hit the gas. I was kind of uh, distracted and. All of a sudden, I'm four-wheel driving. <laughs> There's a median that was sticking out too far in the first place, is what I'm saying. And it was sticking out, and I didn't realize how far it was sticking out, and so I, was, I, I, I went over it. Like, I missed it by about, I missed it by that much. So I missed it, and I drove over the median with the left side of the car and it popped both tires, ripped off the wheel well from inside the front tire, bent the bumper. I mean, I, I mean, the clearance on this thing is like nothing, and I totally ruined it. I ruined the rental car. Look, here's the picture. Check this out. Here it is. <laughs> Two flat tires. Uh, though you can't see the wheel well cuz it's laying in the road over here and 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 then you see how i think i bent the axle or something on the front tire it's like bent back in it's really awful of course i did not get the rental insurance <sighs> just don't you don't do that until a moment like this and you wish you would have done it but here's the amazing thing about what happened cuz i'm you know that moment where you it happens and then you're like thinking of all the repercussions like within an instant Oh my gosh, I got appointments to make. I gotta get to the airport. I gotta, go. how am I gonna get a car in time? What am I gonna do? I'm not gonna be able to get home and see my wife. Anyway, it all happened to me like that. And then as I calmed down, you know, I get the little contract out of the glove compartment and I call the 1-800 number. Here's the amazing thing about this. I made two calls, one to the rental car company and one to my insurance company. And within 20 minutes, it was over. And I remember I was talking to them. I was like, okay, so, so that's it? So what happens? Do, do you, you call each other? What, when are you gonna, how does this work? And so I'm talking, she's talking me through it. She says, yeah, somebody will be by to pick up. Pick it up. We've got a tow truck in the area. We're gonna pick it up and take it back. And, uh, and I, it was so weird that I could just shut the door and walk away. <laughs> what kind of days are we living in when you can rent a car, wreck it, and just get up and walk away? In some ways, I think that's kind of what Paul is telling Timothy. He's like, it's too easy to walk away. Don't walk away. You're going to miss something if you walk away from what God's given you and what's happening in his kingdom. And he's challenging Timothy to stay the course. He's challenging Timothy To keep going. He's challenging him not to give up. And so I want to speak to you today, (laughs) I want to speak to you today on how to fail and finish poorly. Yeah, I know, I know. This whole series has been about some things that you should do, but I'm going to flip the script a little bit and I'm going to teach you how people fail and finish poorly. And we're going to base it off of this section of the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Let's start reading there. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of, the, of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. That's a pretty, pretty strong opening to this section. What he's saying is, there's somebody who's watching. In the presence of God, who is the judge of all things, and in the presence of Christ who has already been made king. The king has already come, but his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is on its way, and it's nearing us. The day when his kingdom is fully established, that's what the apostle Paul is saying to Timothy. In that context, in this presence of God, I charge you, He says, preach the word. When he says preach the word, he wasn't just talking about doing sermons. He was talking about the law and the prophets, no doubt about it. But you you understand, at this time, the letter was just being written. 2 Timothy wasn't even a part of the canon at this time. So he's talking about preaching the law and the prophets, but that's not all he's talking about. Because the meaning behind preach the word is really preach the word about the message of Jesus Christ. You have the context of the law and the prophets, you have the context of the Torah, the fulfillment of the Messiah. Preach that. Make sure that people understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has ushered in a new age. It is coming. Make sure you preach that. Be prepared in season and out of season. That means when things are ready and when you don't feel ready. Prepare so that you can Do this and share the message at any moment. Whether you're tired, whether you're weary, whether you're struggling, whether you're in a dark place, or whether you're at the top of the mountain, be prepared and ready. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. As I said, Timothy is a little bit younger, and so Paul's challenging him. Not to shrink back, not to be apprehensive, not to be timid, but to really correct people. Think about it. There's a community here, and Paul is challenging him to correct and rebuke and to encourage them. He says, and then he says, the last part of the verse, he says, encourage them with great patience and careful instruction. He's essentially describing a community of people who are willing to be corrected and rebuked and instructed. But he's challenging Timothy to do it with patience. And you know why? Because that's the only way it actually gets done. I have five kids. It takes a long time to train them. I hear you train them up and you think you got it done, then you send them away and then they come back. It takes a long time to train them. You have to have impatience and careful instruction. Hey, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that somebody corrected you in our 21st century American Christianity, where we're steeped in individualism, are there people who could correct you? Are there people, <laughs> when was the last time you were rebuked? Whew, that's a pretty strong word. We don't really believe in rebuking an American church. I mean, you, you barely receive it from the pastor, let alone somebody sitting down the row from you. That might be a problem. It might be a problem. Paul is telling Timothy, make sure that you're willing to correct and rebuke and encourage. Don't just be mean. Encourage. Have great patience and careful instruction. Verse 3 gives us the insight into why this is so important. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. You should underline that phrase right there. To suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That phrase, itching ears, it's kind of, you could think of it like tickling your ear. You know how when you tickle your kid's ear? I don't know. I do. And they say, and they say, no, dad, don't do it. But they really like it. It's kind of that. It's kind of that idea. People wanting someone to tickle their ears. So he, he says, this is where we're headed. This is what's coming. This is what's going to happen. They'll gather around teachers to just teach them what they want to hear. Verse four says, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths things that are not true. things that are made up. Instead of truth, they will want made up stuff. Instead of truth, they will want fables. Instead of truth, they'll embrace myths. Verse 5 says, "But you, that's you. But you," says to Timothy, "keep your head in all situations." That's great as if you could lose your head. You can. Timothy could easily lose his head here. Another another translation says, uh, and keep your mind clear. Does anybody else have trouble keeping their mind clear? I mean, things are, I'm going and I've got so much happening. Sometimes it's hard to keep your mind clear. Paul says, look, this is important. Make sure that you keep your head in all situations. Don't freak out. Don't let your emotions run amok. He says, endure hardship. Oh, I wish that wasn't there. Really? We have to endure it? We can't just get rid of it? Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. What does an evangelist do? He carries the message. He shares the message of life and hope and good news. He says, and discharge all the duties of your ministry, which means take care of, make sure that everything God has given you, you're doing well. Make sure that you're taking care of it. Make sure that you're being a good steward. At verse 6, and you can, you, can, you can hear the emotional element, the personal element come out in Paul as he's writing this letter. As he knows what's coming, he's writing his son Timothy, and he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Two things about that. One is the drink offering. It's, a, it's part of the sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, his hearers... Timothy would have understood the picture. And the picture is of wine being poured out on a sacrifice. Fruit of the vine. Provision from God. Being poured out in honor that God is the one who provides and not me. God is the one who makes it happen. God is the one I can trust. That's what what a drink offering is. And here, Timothy would have read this and been able to understand that and hear Paul say, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, but I trust in God's provision for me, and I trust in God's provision for you. And he says, here he comes to the famous passage. He says, my, it's time for my departure. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith picture of this is not militaristic, it's more athletic. And he's saying, I, I have fought a good fight. I've been in the boxing ring and I've, I've fought well. He says, I have finished the race. He says, I, I've, I've, gone, I've come to the finish line. I'll never forget when I came to the finish line of running the one chapel half marathon. It was so good to run across that finish line i had a bum knee and i was trying my best and it was so embarrassing in a way to run across that line because everybody was already done and and they all clapped and yay and it was great but i was so glad to be across the finish line i had finished it i had done it that's what paul is saying here he says i've kept the faith in other words i've been faithful i've competed according to the rules i haven't cheated Verse 8 says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He's talking about a reward from God, a crown of righteousness. Not that he will become righteous once he's there. It's very clear from Paul's writings, we've already received the righteousness of God through Christ. But there is a fulfillment when you're not only in right standing with God, you're actually standing right beside God. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking to that day, which the Lord, the righteous judge, you should underline that little phrase, the righteous judge, we'll get to in a second, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is a challenging segment of scripture because you can hear the apostle Paul trying to hand off the baton. You can hear him saying, I'm coming to the end. Timothy, but you're still starting, and so I want to make sure that you finish well. The theme of our series is it doesn't really matter how you start. What really matters is how well you finish, and one chapel, I can tell you, I'm not really worried about how we're starting or how we've started. I'm really concerned about how we're going to finish, and Paul, in this section, begins to tell Timothy, here's what you've got to do in order to finish well. I'm going to flip the script and give you it in another way. I'm going to help you try to see beyond church. I'm trying to help you see through your holy glasses. Take off the holy glasses. Let's look at 10 ways to fail. 10 ways people fail and they finish poorly. Here it is. Number one, approach life by the seat of your pants. Don't be prepared. Don't think about what's coming. Don't become a good steward of what God's given you. All the stuff he's given you, don't take care of it. Don't treat it nicely. Treat it poorly. Your family, your kids, your resources. Spend, spend, spend. Run up the credit cards. Oh, that hurt. I shouldn't have done that. That was not nice. (laughs) Matthew 25, 14. It's the story of the parable of the talents. Jesus is saying, here's the way the the kingdom of heaven works. Here's the way it works. The guy with guy, one guy got five talents, the master gave two talents to another guy, and he gave one talent to the last guy. Why did he give the one talent to the guy who was last? He wasn't sure he could really handle one. Turns out he was right. What happened? The guy with five reproduced, the guy with two reproduced, two more, five more and two more, and the guy with one, what did he do? If you know the story, he goes and digs a hole and he buries his treasure. He buries his talent. When the master comes, what does he say to him? It's shocking. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. I mean, the servant's there. He's dug up his little talent, and he's bringing it to the master, and he says, here's my talent. Here's I was really afraid. I was really scared that you were going to be really hard on me, and so I just brought it. Here it is. Here's what you gave me. Wicked and lazy servant. Well, you brought the talent back. Here's the little-known fact. The little known lesson for this parable. Because we all know the lesson of, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. It's true. If you're faithful with a few things, God gives you more. If you want more, if you want to go somewhere, you've got to make sure where you're at, you're really taking good care of it. But here's the little known lesson in this parable. The little known lesson is, is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus is describing here with three different stories in Matthew 25, is about reproducing. Reproducing something. In fact, the master says, the master says even if you would have put my, t- my talent on loan to the bank, the implication is everything would have been cool. You would have gotten some interest back. We would have been fine. But no, you went and buried it and hid it kingdom of God doesn't work that way. Paul is telling Timothy, look, take care of what I've given you. Be ready. Be prepared. Number two, if you want to fail and finish poorly, isolate yourself from others. (laughs) Go it alone. Don't have anybody like Paul speaking into your life. Paul was really bossy and mean anyway. This is the problem with so many of us is we don't have anybody who can correct us or who can rebuke us and we will take it. We don't have anybody who can encourage us when we're really struggling. We isolate. You know when we isolate? When do we isolate? We isolate when things are really tough. We shrink back. Hey, that should be a clue for every one of us. When you notice somebody's missing, that's the time to go get them. When you notice that they're not sitting in their normal place, where you come and you sit each week, you should wonder where they are. Isolate if you want to fail. Live in community if you want to succeed. Have somebody speak into your life. I have said it many times before. I'll give you the analogy once again. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. How many people ever saw that? With Marlon Perkins. Here it is. The scene. The little stupid idiot gazelle running away from the herd, just moving ever so slowly, curious about flowers and a creek over here. Wandering away in the grass is a lion. And the lion's just waiting, waiting, waiting. Stupid idiot gazelle keeps going. The lion creeps between the herd and the idiot gazelle, and they take off running, and it is only a matter of time that gazelle becomes lunch. That's what happens to you and me. We choose not to connect. We don't think we really need anybody. Oh, we got maybe our family, but even most of our families are screwed up. Statistically, 50% of you are divorced. The others... You just got problems. (laughs) What you need is somebody to speak into your family and help you walk with you as a dad, walk with you as a mom, walk with you as a teenager. Number three. Oh, I didn't read my scripture. I'm going to read my scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. If you want to turn over there with me, just real quickly, here's what it says it says, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient. bearing with one another make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all we have to be part of a community like that or we fail number three Let the distractions of the world keep you from what's really important. Let the distractions of the world keep you from what's really important. Hey, here's an idea. Stay busy all the time. Stay busy. Never obey the Sabbath. Always keep going. Never rest. Never turn off the gas. Just keep keep the pedal to the metal. And keep, by the way, keep worrying all the way. Keep worrying about everything and keep pushing. It's interesting how all of these things, it's funny, all of these things get to us that that the Bible teaches us to give to him. Here's how you fail and finish poorly. You constantly look at your BlackBerry. Never look up from the BlackBerry. Just keep your head down. When your kids are trying to talk to you, just keep going. When your wife really needs your attention, just keep going keep staring at Facebook a lot. <laughs> Women, keep stay on the Facebook thing for hours. Always be concerned about who's posting rather than what's going on with your husband. Just saying, you say it a little different, it just comes home a different way. Right? It just, it just But th- it, we wouldn't actually try to do this, but somehow it comes over us. It just... We let it happen to us because we're not willing to make time for what's important. Think about the Sabbath. God created a Sabbath in the very fabric of creation. What did he do? He worked for six days, and then what does the Bible say? He rested on the seventh day. Do you think he rested because he was tired? Woohoo, man, flinging those stars, that was tough. Ooh. No, God never gets tired. The Bible says he never grows weary. He wasn't tired. He was trying to communicate something. He was trying to communicate the value of just being. Most of us have trouble with just being. So, so we violate the Sabbath. Six and one, six and one, six and one. That's God's design. Take a day of rest. Don't work. Think, reflect, rest. Make sure you spend time with family. When you violate it, you lose your family. When you celebrate it, you can be successful. Matthew six thirty three. you know what it says? It says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek to apply God's kingdom. Seek to apply God's guidelines. And then what does it say? And all these things will be added to you. All the things, food, clothing, relationships, all these things. If you get priorities right, then God adds everything else. The problem is we let everything else get to us, and we, 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 we live in a state of distraction. Number four, only listen to people who say what you want to hear. Make sure you get a bunch of people around you who will just say what you already know. Don't ask somebody to, to, to be part of your life who can tell you things you don't know. Make sure you don't get anybody like Paul who can speak from experience if you want to fail and you want to finish poorly, just go through life with you and your buds. And don't, don't worry about picking those buds either. Just let it, whoever's there, just let it happen. You know, I love it how Pastor Brent says to the students, he says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy here is you've got to allow people to speak into your life like me, he's also telling him to be willing to speak into the lives of others. He wants Timothy to correct and rebuke and to encourage and to be patient. Submit to somebody who can do that in your life. That's what I want to challenge you to do. You know what Ephesians 5.21 says? It says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ out of reverence for Christ. When you revere Christ, you submit to one another because the only way, here's, here's the crazy part, all right? Am I losing you? It's hot in here. I know, I can see it. The only way that we really prove, here's the crazy part, the only way that we really prove that we're submitted to God is by being, will, being willing to submit to somebody else. Well, Pastor Ross, what about the people who are... So, I'm not talking about all the exceptions. I'm talking about the rule of submitting one to another, being willing to live in community with other people who can speak into your life. Number six. Sorry, number five. Don't spend any time studying what the Bible says. Don't spend any time with the Bible. Just know enough to be really dangerous. Just don't, don't study any theology. Don't be able to answer. You don't want to have to answer anybody's really complex question in the, in the uh, cubicle next to you. <laughs> Just make sure you know enough to have crazy theology. I, one of the worst things, that I, I, one of the things I hate it when people say it. They say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Right. Yeah, it happens. Everything does happen for a reason. But a bunch of them are bad. God's not doing all that stuff. God's not doing all those bad things. There's people, idiots in the world. There's injustice and darkness and evil in the world. Yeah, everything happens for a reason, but some of them are really bad. And that's why the kingdom of God is so important for it to come through you and through me, through our hearts, through our minds, through our lips, through, through transformation, and we begin to change the environment around us. That's God's plan. But if you... If you want to fail and you want to just finish really poorly, don't, don't spend any time memorizing or meditating or internalizing the Scripture. Second, Second Timothy uh, 3.16, right where you are there in Timothy, if you look up there, what it says is all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Number six, can you write fast? Number six, allow your emotions to rule your life. Allow your emotions to just go nuts. Every feeling that you have, don't be afraid to just express it. You ever watch reality television? This is pretty much what happens there. You just, every single emotion that you have, make sure it's expressed in the most damaging way that it can be to your relationships around you. Notice what Paul tells Timothy. He says, keep your head in all situations. Keep a clear mind. Don't let your emotions run rampant. Keep your head. Make sure you remember that you're representing somebody greater than you. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, we can read the last part of the chapter. It says in verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How do we do this? How do we do this? Oh, just as in Christ, God forgives you. If you want to wreck your life, if you want to finish poorly, just let your emotions go crazy. Don't try to yield them or surrender them to the work of God in your life. Number, number seven, try to escape all hardship. <laughs> Pray to avoid hardship. Plead with God to avoid hardship. And then when hardship comes, blame him. You know what Paul said to Timothy? He said, endure hardship. Endure hardship. Do you know that Hebrews 12 verse 7, you know what it says? Hebrews 12, 7, you can write that down. It's an extra extra uh, passage here. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Now, here, let, me, let me explain what I think this is. When you endure hardship as discipline, what do you do? If you see whatever hardship you're going through as discipline, what do you do? How do you want your kids to respond to discipline? Okay, just go with me for a second. How do you want your kids to respond to discipline? Repentance, humility, open-heartedness, change. If you respond to all hardship like that, you get it. It, it work, you, you build the kingdom of God inside of you. Now, what am I saying? Pastor Ross, well, don't you know there's a lot of hardship that's from the devil, well, yeah, there's injustice all over the place. There are bad things that happen to people. I'm not saying that God does all the bad things. But what Paul is saying is when you endure hardship, when you're willing to go through it and endure it, Romans 5.8, you know what it says? Romans 5.5, 5, I think it is. It's not 5-8, it's 5-5. It says, When you can make it through suffering, you develop perseverance. And when you develop perseverance, guess what happens? It starts shaping your character. And when it starts shaping your character, suddenly you have hope. God is working in you, even in the midst of the hardship. Is that the craziest thing? Have you ever had a hardship and you're like, man, I wish that never would have happened to me, but I wouldn't trade it because of what God did in me. That's a crazy experience to have, but that's what the apostle Paul's talking about. Endure hardship. If you want to fail and finish poorly, just avoid it all. Whenever hardship comes, just skirt around it. Figure out a way to eliminate it. Number eight, seek happiness above all. Seek happiness above all. If you want to fail and you want to finish poorly, just try to get happiness in your life. Now, here's the problem. If you seek happiness as an entity, you will never accomplish it because you can't seek happiness for happiness sake happiness always comes as the result of doing something else of seeking something else happiness is always you think about it in every way in every respect happiness is a result it is a byproduct of something else. You think about Paul saying, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about an internal happiness that's coming upon him, a joy that is unmistakable. Jesus taught it at the Sermon on the Mount. Go over there to Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to read a few of them. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed, blessed are the poor. In spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes through and he, he lists all these. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know what the word blessed means? Blessed, it means fortunate. It means happy. You could, blessed, fortunate, happy, you could put all those things together. Look at what Jesus is teaching. He's saying, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness you get blessed. You get blessed. You get happiness. You get, you're you fortunate. You see yourself as fortunate. If you hunger and thirst for happiness, you don't get righteousness. You get something much worse. Most of our culture is chasing after happiness, and that's why they're so miserable. Paul is saying, I want you to endure hardship, and I want you to be ready, to be prepared, to discipline yourself. I want you to correct and rebuke and encourage. I want you to have patience. And when you do all these things, what you're gonna find is there's a joy that you can't describe because you're gonna see it. It's going to emerge in you. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, happiness comes as a result. Number nine, don't think about others who need Jesus. Just focus on yourself. Don't focus, don't think about others who need Jesus. Just think about how much you need him. It's a problem, isn't it? Paul tells Timothy, I want you to make sure that you are an evangelist. That you make sure that you fulfill the gift that you've been given. That you make sure that you tell other people about the message. But somehow when we, when we don't think about others who need Jesus, what happens is... When we fail to share Jesus with others, try to just deal with it ourselves, we miss part of God's great purpose for us. Came to Austin because I didn't think there were enough churches, and physically there are not. You know, the statistics say that we don't have enough seats for all the people who live in this city. If you take every church in this city, but there's a bunch of people who need Jesus, and I came here, and we came here, and you've come here, and the, tr- the truth is we have to always keep in mind the fact that God's purpose is sitting out in front of us. He wants us to know him, and he wants us to make him known. And when we lose the making him known part, we get fat and happy. But that only lasts a little while, and then we become miserable. Instead of a conduit, we become the end. Instead of a river, we become the pond. and We get film and scum on the top of it. But God wants a river to flow through us. He wants rivers of living water to flow out of us. And when we do that, something is energizing about that. It helps you understand what you're part of. It helps you keep going. You're realizing there's something I'm, I'm going to finish really well here. When you you talk about the crown of righteousness, when Paul talks about the crown of righteousness, he's not just talking about getting to heaven in the sweet by and by. He's talking about experiencing the joy of accomplishing the purpose. All right, here's an example. Here's the last example I'll give you. If you think about learning Spanish or some other language. I tried to learn Spanish in college. (laughs) I couldn't do it. So I switched to German. Go figure. There's a difference in learning Spanish to pass a test and learning Spanish because you know you're going to live in Mexico. A bunch of these missionary guys just went through this process. You can learn Spanish for the test and you get 100 and then that's the reward. Woo! That's not what Paul's talking about. It's something totally different. It's much deeper. It's much richer. What he's talking about is learning Spanish and experiencing the joy and the fulfillment of being able to relate, to communicate, to have the experience of speaking in another language with other people and being able to share the gospel in that language. There is a joy and a a happiness that comes with that. See, that's what God wants for each one of us. The crown of righteousness is knowing him so well, having a relationship with him. He's not saying, hey, live your life just perfect, just so, make sure you don't make any mistakes, and make sure you don't go here, don't go there, don't get it. And then when you get there, you'll get a nice little 100. That's a sad view of living your life for Christ. What he's talking about is living your life for him, with him, him including you, you including him, and the joy that begins and the reward that is at the end of that journey. That's what we're talking about here. Finally, number 10 is act as if there is no evaluation, judge, or judgment coming. Just act like that doesn't exist. No one's going to take notes. No one's going to evaluate you. If you want to fail, don't live with eternity in mind. Don't live with Jesus, the righteous judge, being the one who's going to communicate with you when you die. Now, as you look at that, 2 Corinthians 5.21, you can read it later. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, why do I bring that up? Because you could look at what I'm saying here about the judgment and the judge and all, and you could read it very negatively. But the truth is, the truth is the gospel message is what delivers us from eternal judgment. It's what delivers us from the wrath of God. When Jesus comes into our life, when we believe and embrace what he's done, when we accept his work on the cross, when we embrace who he is in our daily lives, something happens. We can look to the judgment. We can look to the evaluation with real joy, with real um, hope, because we have Christ that should mark us, that should define us. Close your eyes, bow your head. I want you to listen to the work of the Spirit as we've talked about these things.